Our summaries this week contain two criminal law cases. In Montgomery v. State, 2022, ARC App 329, the Arkansas Court of Appeals affirmed a defendant's convictions and rejected an argument that his custodial statement should have been excluded on grounds of false promises of leniency. A second failing argument was the police body cam video should have been excluded from evidence because of the gruesome nature. Judge Murphy explained, On January 2, 2019, Jonesboro police responded to a residence regarding a shooting. Four victims in the home sustained multiple gunshot wounds, including 16-year-old Malcolm Jemison, who died from his injuries. When police arrived, they encountered several individuals who had been shot and began administering aid. Body camera video from the responding officers was admitted into evidence and played for the jury. Malcolm was pronounced dead at the hospital. Three others were hospitalized with gunshot wounds. Flando was convicted of one count each of first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, and first-degree battery, two counts of attempted first-degree murder, and six counts of aggravated assault. The jury also found that each offense was committed with a firearm and that the first-degree murder, two counts of attempted first-degree murder, and all but the aggravated robbery and battery were committed in the presence of a child and recommended sentences for those enhancements as well. The jury recommended that the sentences for the underlying felonies run concurrently and the enhancements to follow consecutively with the stipulation that all of the child and firearm enhancements would run together for an aggregate sentence of 55 years. End of quote. Defendant initially argued the police made false promises of leniency, so his recorded confession at the police station shouldn't have been excluded. The record showed the detective's statements, quote, I promise you, man, I promise you, I'll do everything I can to help you out, but you've got to be straight with us, and right now you're giving us not whole truths. That's what it's going to show. When you, you can look at it however you want to, whatever light you want to, and I'll tell you right now, me and Detective Brooks right now go to the prosecutor's office with you. I'll stand beside you and tell you he didn't want to do that. He didn't mean to do that. End of quote. The argument failed and the appellate court explained, quote, We have adopted a two-stage inquiry for instances in which defendants allege that false promises by police officers induced their custodial statements. First, we look to the nature of the officer's statement. If the officer made an unambiguous false promise of leniency, then the statement elicited from the defendant is automatically inadmissible. If the officer made no promises of leniency, the statement is admissible. See Piles v. State, 329 ARC 73. If the officer's statements were of an ambiguous nature, however, we proceed to the second step of the analysis to examine the defendant's vulnerability along a number of dimensions, age, education, intelligence, length of interrogation, experience with the justice system, and the delay between the defendant receiving Miranda warnings and the statement. Because the statements by Officer Oldham were plausibly ambiguous, we then take the second step of determining whether Flando was particularly vulnerable to having his will overborne. There are four factors to be considered in determining a defendant's vulnerability. The age, education, and intelligence of the accused, how long it took to attain the statement, the defendant's experience, if any, with the criminal justice system, 
and the delay between the Miranda warnings and the confession. The object of the rule is not to exclude a confession of truth, however, but to avoid the possibility of a confession of guilt from one who is, in fact, innocent. A person seeking to have a statement excluded on the basis that a false promise was made must show that the confession induced by the false promise was untrue. At the suppression hearing, the circuit court concluded the statements were ambiguous and proceeded to determine Flando's vulnerability. It made the factual finding that Flando appeared to be lucid and not under the influence of intoxicants. It found that the interview was not excessive in length. Flando was 19 years old with 12 years of education and seemed to be of average intelligence. The tone of the interview was calm, and the detectives made sure to offer Flando water and even found him a space eater, heater when he said he was cold. The circuit court found that the surrounding circumstances did not lead it to believe that Flando's will had been overborne, and having made a de novo review, these findings are not clearly erroneous. Flando argues that the images and description from the officer's body camera of the victim who was shot in the head was so unfairly prejudicial that it outweighed any probative value. Here, the video footage admitted into evidence corroborated the testimony of the officers on the scene. It showed the condition of the victims, where they were found, and the severity of the wounds. Tellingly, the officer's body camera video showed the jury exactly what the police officers encountered at the scene and what they did there once they arrived, as each of them testified. Even identifying this evidence as cumulative, however, does not render it inadmissible. Evidence that is merely cumulative is not prejudicial, and the state is entitled to prove its case as conclusively as possible. End of quote. End of decision. In Vasquez v. State, 2022, ARC App 328, the Arkansas Court of Appeals reversed sentencing orders, where defendant was convicted of five counts of rape against a child and remanded for a new trial because the state was allowed to ask a lay witness questions that should have been limited to an expert. The witness was a sexual assault nurse examiner who the state had designated as a lay witness. Judge Vaught explained, Vasquez argues that Smith's opinions, the frequency of normal findings on sexual assault exams, and that children often delay disclosing sexual abuse resulting in fewer physical findings on exams, are not based on observations of everyday occurrences or matters within the common experience of most persons, and that such opinions exceed the permissible scope of lay testimony as set forth in Rule 701. We hold that Smith's opinions fall outside the parameters of Rule 701. Smith's opinions that it is not strange or unusual for child sexual assault victims to have normal physical findings and that it is common for child victims to delay reporting sexual assaults are not observations of everyday occurrences or matters within the common experience of most persons. Smith's opinions include her specialized knowledge, experience, training, and education in interviewing and examining over 1,300 child sexual assault victims. Moreover, a lack of physical findings and a child's delayed reporting of abuse in cases with allegations of repeated penetration may be counterintuitive and confusing to a layperson. Expert testimony in this area would be helpful to assist the trier of fact to understand the evidence. 
Smith's opinions go well beyond what she observed and heard when she examined and interviewed I.S. As explained above, Smith's opinions regarding the frequency of abnormal findings on child sexual assault exams and of delayed disclosure of abuse are not within an ordinary person's experience and knowledge, which is why expert opinion testimony is helpful to assist the trier of fact. Without it, the jury might conclude from Smith's testimony that no sexual abuse occurred because there were no findings of abuse on I.S.'s physical exam and because she waited two weeks before disclosing it. For these reasons, we hold that the circuit court abused its discretion when it allowed Smith to testify about the frequency of normal findings in a child sexual assault examination and that children often delay disclosure of sexual abuse because their opinion testimony exceeds the scope of Rule 701. End of quote. The next question was whether there was prejudice and the opinion reasoned there was in this case. Quote, we hold that there is a reasonable probability that the erroneously admitted expert opinions of Smith, designed to lead the jury to infer that abuse occurred despite the lack of physical findings and the delayed disclosure of abuse, impacted and affected the jury's credibility of finding. Therefore, we reverse and remand for a new trial. End of quote. Arkansas Rule of Evidence 701 provides, quote, If the witness is not testifying as an expert, his testimony in the form of opinions or inferences is limited to those opinions or inferences which are, one, rationally based on the perception of the witness, and two, helpful to a clear understanding of his testimony or the determination of a fact in issue. End of quote. End of decision.